As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, this is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by the Athletic. I'm Ian Stone, joined as ever by James McNicholas and Amy Lawrence. Hello, hello everyone. Hello, man. Hello. Uh, Lee Dixon, by the way, is having a week off, or two possibly, to fix those knees he so selflessly sacrificed playing professional football. Get well soon, Lee. Thank you for the titles and the cups. We hope you thought it was worth it. We certainly did. Now, before we get started, let me tell you about this. To celebrate Black Friday... We're giving you the chance to subscribe to The Athletic for our best ever price. It's just £1 a month for 12 months and you can cancel at any time. So you can access all of The Athletic all year long, including all of our podcasts ad-free. We'll bring you unrivaled coverage of Arsenal for an unbeatable price and we won't be running a better deal anytime soon. This offer runs from Black Friday for just one week up until the 4th of December, so don't miss out. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod and pay just £1 a month for 12 months. This offer is for new subscribers uh, only. So, we drew nil-nil away at Leeds. I've got to be honest, uh, guys, I was unable to watch the game live. When I heard the result, my first thought was, well, that is a creditable away draw at free-scoring Leeds. Now, (laughs) obviously, later on, I saw Pepe's red card and I felt differently about the whole thing. But as an opening question related to that, we thought we'd ask, what are the stupidest red cards that Arsenal have got in games? Amy, I'll start with you. Um, I think maybe the stupidest, uh, although it's a slightly different scenario in that the stupidity is perhaps less on the point of the player, um, was the Robin Van Persie new camp uh, uh, calamity, where, dear listeners, if you uh, have no recollection of this, insanity uh google it poor old robin was uh, clean through uh and had a shot at goal which uh caused all sorts of trouble because he received a second yellow card and was duly sent off and claimed and it's very visible for when you see his reaction that he clearly didn't hear a thing it was pretty raucous and noisy and the whistle of the ref for i don't know an offside or whatever it was um 
wasn't heard and he he was penalised for playing on and taking the shot. Uh, needless to say, the thing, the outcome didn't end well and although Arsenal were incredibly close to still going through against Barcelona back then, uh, Nicholas Bentner with a, with a chance. Um, but, you know, those were indeed the glory days, uh, oh, how we miss them, of complaining about getting knocked out of the group stages, uh, sorry, the uh, knockout rounds of the Champions League. <laughs> hey ho, yes. how hey wonderful ho. they were, how awful they were, as people thought at the time, or maybe not, I don't know. Well, quite. Um, on that subject, by the way, well, a couple of things. One, it was only Nick, it was only because Nicholas Bentner thought he was better than he actually was that he didn't take the shot first time. I think. Um, the other thing I would say, and I don't know what James thinks about this, I had a sneaking suspicion, still do, that Robin Van Persie knew exactly what he was doing. At that point. <laughs> I genuinely do. I, I did, and I still do. And I've been faced with various Arsenal fans ranting about how that referee was bent and Barcelona were bent and all the rest of it. And I just thought, you know what? I'm not sure I believe you, mate, to be honest with you. But there might not be many other fans who feel the same way. Uh, James, uh, what about you? Funnily enough, I actually do share that suspicion, Ian. I know what Amy <laughs> means about his face when he turns around, but I've seen a lot of footballers pull that face. You know, and I'm, I'm, they're, they're, A lot of them are pretty good actors too. So I don't know, but... It did feel like it was sort of when he had a shot out of frustration yeah. once he realised he was offside. Um, nevertheless. Such a ridiculous uh, thing to get booked for. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah well, quite. In, in, the, in the football's stupidest rules, which is a very long list these days. Yes. It's got to be a contender. An increasingly long list. Yeah. Uh, the, the sending off I was thinking of was actually in... It was in the Community Shield in 2003... And I don't know if you remember it, but Francis Jeffers, um, whose who's Arsenal career was sort of in some doubt at that time. He'd oh, been yeah. with the club for a couple of years, got sent off for basically just booting Phil Neville, which if you're going to get sent off for anything, I mean, that Fair is enough. one of the, the, the good things to get sent off for. But it was at a time where there was kind of quite a lot of debate about his future, what would happen. And I, as I recall, I think within about three days, he was packed off to Charlton on loan. Um, and that was kind of the end of his time with Arsenal. But... The reason it sprung to mind this week is it was a similar situation where there's a player where, you know, the, the faith of the manager was quite a fragile thing and he kind of compounded all the problems by getting himself sent, up, self sent off in a relatively high-profile occasion. So that's the one. What about you, Ian? Well, I, I'm sorry, I was just thinking how, how ridiculous it is to lose your Arsenal career over something that happened in the Community Shield. But you know what? <laughs> yeah. That's a separate issue. Um, well, I was going to mention Robin Van Persie um, in the new Camp, but... Uh, Tayo, our producer, also mentioned the Granite Xhaka one. Uh, I can't remember, was it against Palace or Burnley? I, I really can't remember. In a league game where we were sat in our normal seats and uh, it was right in front of us and um, whichever, whichever opposition player went running away and Granite Xhaka... I mean, it, it, trip doesn't really cover it. It was Swansea, <laughs> wasn't it? Was it? That's right. It was Swansea, and the guy was getting away. And Granite Jacker decided to do what I guess we used to call a professional foul, uh, and would normally have expected to pick up a yellow uh, card. Um, I think even Arsene Wenger said it was orangey red. I think is what he said, and uh, and Granite Jacker got sent off. I thought deservedly so, especially when it was it was done five yards in front of me. Uh, a very very stupid red card. Now the reason that we're talking about stupid red cards is of course what happened uh, on the weekend on Sunday when uh, uh, Nicola Pepe got sent off at the start of the second half and um, uh, rather changed the game. Well, I say it changed the game. I mean, from what, from what I've read, they were massively on top in the first half and they were even more massively on top in the second. Um, 
I mean, we've talked quite a lot on this podcast about a lack of creativity. Um, and that's possibly, uh, Amy, part of the reason that Pepe was in the, in the team in the first place. Freddie Lundberg actually talked about the fact that the way Leeds play and the fact that uh, it would all be, uh, they, he would be one-on-one with the defender. And that sort of unpredictability that he have should have worked in a game like that. Yeah, maybe. I mean, look, creativity has been uh, not a new problem. So I think asking that asking him to be the solution to a wider problem. I mean, I think ideally he would be contributing to uh, things being better and improved on that front. But I think it's abundantly clear um, when you look at how how long it is since Arsenal have been scoring goals freely um, that <laughs> this is a bigger picture issue it would have been great had he come in and uh, and been an option to unlock things um he's been waiting a while to get in the team I, I feel some sympathy for players sometimes who don't get a bit of a run I mean I suppose in the modern game that's something you have to contend with because the rotation is inevitable most of the time but um I just especially someone who has maybe um, spent a bit of time trying to settle, which he clearly has. Uh, it's a funny thing. I think sometimes with players, when they do stupid things, I mean, Arteta did seem, you know, palpably quite annoyed. Oh, I should say. <laughs> uh, in fact, to the point where I, I I felt a bit unsure watching his uh, reaction because he's he's normally, you know, very pointed about the things that he says in whatever he wants to talk about. And... It felt like a bit hanging a player out to dry, a bit sort of almost publicly um, shaming them a little bit. And I just felt slightly unsure that, that, that uh, it, you know, with a cooler head and a little bit of time to relax. Maybe it's a symptomatic of a bigger frustration that Arteta has about Nicola Pepe. But I just think when when you've got a slightly fragile player like he is, I don't know if that's always the way to do it. Because really, Arsenal need him to work out a bit better than it's working. Uh, maybe, perhaps he's exhausted what he thinks is every available option. But, I don't know, I just I just felt like it was uh, maybe not the best way to help unluck this boy and what he might be capable of. If he is capable of more in, a, in an Arsenal shirt. And you have to face the reality that, that there are times when it's just not quite the right fit for a club and a player. I know you look at Paul Pogba now for Man United and then you look at the way he plays for France and you scratch your head and just think, I don't understand. No. You look at Lucas Torreira, who, you know, it it didn't really click for him that much over his period at at Arsenal and is now with Atletico Madrid top of the league. Uh, You know, sometimes people just need different circumstances, different environments, uh, different... um, confidence um to to do their stuff uh sometimes it's perfect and we can think of lots of players who have come to arsenal and and it's it's absolutely been superb for them and others who go to club where it's just not quite right the answer maybe isn't putting him under tons of pressure mate you know what i'm not even going to mention the transfer fee of 72 million quid well i just don't see what the point is be- that, the point, the point is, Amy, that they're all under a lot of pressure. And by the way, he's twenty-four years old. He's not a boy. He's a grown man, and he should do 
I mean, he look, he, I mean, James, you wrote a piece about Nicola Pepe. I felt you expressed very well the reservations we all have about him. And you mentioned the fact that he was interviewed in a magazine during the international break and he was talking about how he wanted more game time, right? Mm-hmm. And so Mik- Mikel Arteta, who hasn't picked him much this season, went, go on then. And then he goes and does that. I mean, I'm, a, I'm as livid as, um, as Arteta about it. What do you feel? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the most generous way I can think is, you know, was he so wound up that he, he got himself into that situation? You know, you he said had his this in the piece. Yeah, you? I mean, I think that's a very kind interpretation, but it's plausible that he was so, you know, desperate to impress that his frustration when it wasn't working out for him kind of boiled over. I mean, there is a kind of paradox within Pepe because he is absolutely infuriating at times, but he is also you know, sometimes our most dangerous player. And I think even in the first half, you know, miss hit, cross, hits the bar, he flashes another shot wide. You know, if Arsenal look like scoring, a lot of the time he is involved in that. And he's one of the players who does combine with Aubameyang. They seem to have a decent relationship on the pitch. So I can see the temptation for Arteta to pick him. And I think I think the fact that Arteta was so angry afterwards, to my mind, was kind of a case of him you know, he, he sort of talked himself into this decision. He had the international break to think about it. He decided to go for Pepe and then it, it just didn't work out. And, and my fear is it, there's a long way back for him now. You know, I think Arteta, when you see how incensed he was, maybe that won't last and maybe behind closed doors, he and Pepe will have a conversation and everything will be fine. But we know with Arteta, he is a guy who can draw a line in the sand. He's done it with Matteo Ganduzi. He's done it with Meza Ozil. He seems to have done it with a couple of others in the squad. You fear that Pepe might be approaching that point with him because clearly there are reservations. And what happened the other day won't do anything to, to, to dampen those. By the way, another name for Amy's list of players who worked out better elsewhere. I don't know if either of you have seen Henrik Mkhitaryan's form for Roma. Six goals and five assists this season. Well, thanks, James. uh, (laughs) I hadn't seen that, and that's just really cheered me up no end. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at the time. I mean, Amy, this point about Mikel Arteta, really very, very angry. You could see, I thought he was about to pop uh, after when he was doing that interview uh, post-match. But, you know, from his point of view, I mean, they're all... They're all complaining, all the managers, about the number of games that players are playing and and the fact that um, how tired they all are. And then they go away on these uh, on this international break. It's not a break. They have to play. Some of them play three games in about in about uh, eight days. And you know, I mean, to give you an example, Bukayo Saka came on. Um, you know, went off injured. Now it's possible that he didn't. It, hopefully, it's nothing serious. But if Pepe doesn't get sent off in that game, maybe. Saka doesn't go on and get injured. He has, to a certain extent, let the team down. I don't think there's a problem with saying that, is there? Oh, God. I mean, I I totally get what you're saying, but I also think, you know what? (laughs) These things, I I, I think a personal view, and I don't know if anyone else thinks this is a load of old codswallop, but I think that we are all, to an extent, slightly biased, unconsciously or not, towards players that we like or don't like. And an equivalent incident 
with a player that we like or we or indeed uh, are less favorable towards can, can easily cloud how we regard it so let's take an example when Aubameyang got sent off last season was it at Crystal Palace yeah um for a slightly reckless challenge which ordinarily he is not making those kind of challenges too often uh, and he was very upset about that uh, when he got sent off and he knew it was going to cost him and cost the team um I don't remember, and I think it would have been absurd had there been a sort of torrent of anger and abuse about him doing something stupid and getting sent off. It was on the halfway line. He didn't need to go in for a challenge like that. No, but it as, was as he did, and it you know it it was it was daft. Amy, cost, Amy, sorry, it, it was only a challenge as opposed to getting wound up by the opposition player and and. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say headbutting Listen, in the in the wider sense. Stoney, we know that Stoney, you've watched Ian Wright as much as I have. Come on, let's but, not can... let's not you know turn around and say that there aren't ever players who do stupid things that you know that they get wound. <laughs> whether you get wound up about it or whether you've gone in and hurt someone, you know, are we going to have a sort of debate about what constitutes the worst type of you know incidents that you can have? The bottom line is he got sent off in a you know away from home in a game that was a tough game, and Arsenal scraped a point. Um, there are I, so many, many, many incidents that I can't even be bothered to think of them all of yes. something vaguely similar that ha- has happened over the years. If it's a player that is is playing well generally and is well loved, people tend to go and and you know be sympathetic. Uh, and not be angry and just put it as one of those things that you've got to ride out until they can come back in the team. If it's a player who is less popular or is having problems or is not doing so well, then it's much easier for everybody to get much more negative about yes. something similar. That's the point I'm trying to make. James? Uh, people can completely disagree with that, but a personal view is because because it's a him. general perception that this transfer has not worked. This is a a huge amount of money that Arsenal have committed to a player who has not delivered enough value um, uh, and probably suffered a little bit along the way. But the team have suffered too because they've spent 72 million quid or are spending it over the next few years and that affects their budgets, etc. on a guy who's um, who's been far too erratic and inconsistent and has shown some flashes but has not really come in and set the team alight on a, on a, on a regular basis. And there is frustration about that. And therefore, if things don't go well, it makes people go mad. Is that right or wrong? I don't know. James, um, I'd, James I'd like to ask ask you the question. Also, by the way, I'd add a caveat, which is, William better not headbutt anyone in the next <laughs> few weeks. But um, what do you think about Amy's point? I think she's right. There's always unconscious bias in the way that we perceive players. But, you know, I, I sort of think in the case of Pepe, isn't that fair enough? You know, Aubameyang... People didn't go after him when he gets sent off, but that's because yeah, he scored 30 goals, goals or whatever yeah. it was. Uh, Ian Wright, yeah, he got sent off time to time, but he was the highest goal scorer in the club's history. You live with it. I think if a player... I don't think it's so much about if a player is liked. Let me tell you, if a player is playing well and scoring goals, they'll be liked. I think it's about if you're performing generally. And if you then aren't, if you then further undermine that with something that people regard as foolish, I think you're going to be in trouble with the supporters. And yeah. and. and yeah, yeah, but I, I also just think feel... we need to we need to remember that this is a human being who has got you know his uh, foibles like the rest of us. And I don't know about the rest of you, but I certainly don't feel very perfect most of the time. And if you if things aren't going well for you, and I'm pretty sure that that he signed this contract to come to Arsenal in good faith and was excited and thought it was going to work out 
and um, you know had nothing to do with the transfer fee, uh, and you know then just might be a small possibility that this kid is really having a hard time here, and that maybe he did do that because he can't really cope with what's going on. I don't. Maybe not. Maybe he's um, you know swanning around and shrugs his shoulders and Arteta can't be bothered and the whole thing's a total pain in the neck I'm a, I'm not, we, we don't we don't know that level of detail it's probably like most things somewhere in the middle because the majority of stuff end up being in a gray area but I'm just trying to put across a perspective and a point of view that it might be not as straightforward as saying what a twerp you know you know Arteta probably need to think about cashing in and whatever we can get get rid of him and get someone better or someone who works harder, or someone who's more consistent. I mean, it's a debate. It's a debate that we'll continue to have. I mean, not for the next three games because he's out. Um, in terms of red cards, by the way, this other the other thing you said in your piece, James, is this is the Arsenal's fifth red card since Arteta turned up. Now, I think three of them are David Luiz, I imagine, yeah. right? But <laughs> so. but is this what is going on? We, I don't think we're a dirty team. We're I, I think you said carelessness, didn't you, or stupidity, or carelessness? I said I think that I think you know there are elements of the team that can be a bit careless, a bit reckless. But I, I don't think this is a dirty team at all. And and also, nor do I have the sense that, you know, like like in the early years of Arsene Wenger, there's a kind of uh, vigilante spirit that kind of un, underpins all this. I just think, you know, if you look at the Louise sendings off, they're consequences of mistakes. And Pepe, I think whatever you think about his broader context or, you know, what you consider him as a player, ultimately... He made a mistake, right? He fell into a trap that was laid for him. You know, the the, the Leeds team are, are praying he reacts like that. And, yeah. you know, we're all human. We can all do it. But that is unfortunately the decision that he took in that moment. So I, I don't think there's a huge amount to be read into that stat. But it is interesting, you know. And it's one of the things that I think Arteta, for a guy who's like very strong on discipline in a lot of what he does, it's you know, on the pitch. Yeah, yeah if, if there's a little bit of that fraying. But... Uh, I mean, what did you guys think of um, Kieran Tierney Kieran coming Tierney. across over the end? Because that's a very different type of reaction yeah. that I think fans, because things are going so well for Tierney and he's so popular, they're obviously going to rally around that and, and love that, you know? I mean, from my point of view, that was something that I absolutely loved. And I think I think we need to see more of that. I cannot believe that Granit Xhaka had his arm around Alioski at the end of the game. And Kirantini, I think Kirantini was just as angry with Granite as he was with uh, Alioski, really. Don't pally up to someone who's a cheat. I mean, look, I un I'm saying cheat in the sense that uh, if Pepe had done that to Alioski the other way around, I wouldn't have been applauding him, but we might have won the game and they'd have gone, all right, fair enough. It, there was a slight movement of the head towards. But in the end, he he, w he overreacted massively. And I don't see why, why Xhaka was pallying up to him. So from my point of view, for Tierney to go over there and say, you want to see a real headbutt? Come down to Glasgow on a Saturday night and I'll show you. I, I personally really love that. What about you, Amy? I'm just curious as to um, how you guys felt when Gwen Doozy was defending uh, Burnt Leno um, and having a go at Neil Mulpai. Because I felt the two inc incidences were linked and Kieran Tierney's reaction, a bit like Genduzzi's, came from the same sort of place. Um, maybe manifested slightly different, differently, but um, the connection between them interested me and, and most people seem to think Genduzzi was doing a good thing as well to stand up. He was the only one who stood up for his teammate that day as well. I didn't feel uh, that, by the way, but okay. 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 Um, 
why did you feel so happy about Tierney and less so about Guendouzi? Because Guendouzi was spending the entire game telling Mopé how much money he was making. And yeah, he wasn't... know that at the time. No, but I, I, I even at the end... <laughs> when it, no, no, no. I, I, no, I didn't, no, I didn't know that at the time. But even at the end, when it happened, I thought to myself... No, this is not the sort of fight we're talking about. This really isn't. Kieran Tierney, by the way, shows that fight through the game in a way that I'm not sure Matteo Guendouzi did in a consistent way. And I certainly felt that was more for show than anything else. I don't know what you think, James. I was there that day at Brighton. Um, not close enough to hear Guendouzi boasting about his pay packet, I must say. <laughs> but I, I, I like that reaction and I have to say I always liked that element of Ginduzi. you know I like the spike I like the character I kind of liked that he was a player that opposition fans hated because he was really niggly he was very very um he, he's a competitive spirit I think by nature I think the issue for him was not uh that he stood up for his teammate on that day but it was kind of how things played out for him after the fact you know I think it was his conduct with Arteta and with other members of the executive team that ultimately did for him at Arsenal. But I think Amy's point, you know, is a good one and it does tie into that that idea of unconscious bias and how, you know, Kieran Tierney's Mr. Popular at the moment, you know, he's a cult hero and therefore if he does it, it's great. With Genduzi, maybe slightly different. I think the other thing is that the thing about the money, I think, leaves a bad taste in supporters' mouth, doesn't it? If that is what was said... You know, even if that sort of sledging is going to go on inevitably in sport, I think, you know, we all know footballers make a money, a lot of money. And, you know, in the current context, I think that was never going to sit well with people, even if it is a kind of heat of the moment thing. Yeah, I think, by the way, listen, all right, we've discussed this. I think we can all agree that Mope is a sneaky little prick. Yeah, <laughs> I just think I just think there's a I felt I found myself wondering uh, in my head after the uh after the league's game uh, about uh, how Arteta's sort of messaging is in terms of the non-negotiables. I found myself thinking for all, all the things that I think he's doing that have been really incredibly helpful in trying to reset the culture at the club, he, he, he needs to be slightly careful maybe about his about consistency of his own messaging and how yeah. it's interpreted. Because there are things that, okay, we're talking about uh incidents they're not absolutely like for like but not a million miles away from each other so if you if you let willian come back from dubai and ignoring covid protocols and you're picking the next match um if you you know if if uh, david louise gets sent off at man city and everybody's up in arms about you know some recklessness after two minutes from an experienced player and and then he, he he gets a new contract, new contract in, yeah. in, in, you know during the course of his suspension. Mm. If you, on the other hand, are not you know if you applaud Kieran Tierney for standing up for his you know his teammate and his team and and the club, um, and on the other hand you're you know you drop Genduzi absolutely like a stone you know maybe some more reasons but. He doesn't get a second chance, no. um, and you know Pepe is being uh, you know told off in public. It's, I just think it's an interesting one that, as some as a young coach, uh, wonder whether just his you know he seemed to have such control of his emotional reactions and his messaging at the beginning. It was so consistent and so firm, and it just is open to a bit more interpretation now. And you just wonder what some of the players think about that. I just think it's interesting to consider. 
as part of Arteta's own education and how he evolves from all his experiences that he's having at the moment and how he assesses his situations. I think I think at some point we may well do a podcast about exactly that subject and I think that would uh, definitely be worth uh, worth talking about. This is the uh, Handbrake Off uh, podcast for The Athletic. I'm Ian Stone here with Amy Lawrence and James McNicholas. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Do you know what? I spoke to Tayo, our producer, a couple of days before this, and I said I, I might bring up with the guys um, just how well uh, Jose Mourinho appears to be doing at Spurs at the moment, <laughs> seeing as I was the person Sorry, who got... Sorry, I've got to go, I've got to go. Bye. <laughs> seeing as I was the only person who who mentioned him as a possible manager before Mikel Arteta came in, it's not that I'm... Uh, that I want Spurs to do well in order to prove my point. But uh, I'd just like to say that uh, so far it seem, he seems to be doing pretty well uh, I cannot Spurs. believe you're saying this out loud. <laughs> I'm only saying it to get a reaction from How you guys. How are you way. prepared for this to go, Ian, for you to be right? <laughs> um, I, I'd, I'd like them to lose the title on the last day of the season to us. All right, okay. it's, it's hell. No, I'm absolutely not. I, I don't want them to win the title just to prove a point. But um, you know what? I will bring it up from time to time if they keep uh, doing well, uh, is all I'm saying at the moment. One of the reasons, by the way, they are doing well is obviously, uh, I think we can all agree, the form of Harry Kane. Um but, I, think, I think we're going to put in for a transfer request of you to it. another podcast. Stop it. I'm there talking... is an Athletic There's Spurs a... podcast, there is Ian, indeed. if you I'm want sure to go and do that. Word for you. Yeah, yeah. No, the reason I'm talking about that is because a uh, uh, because, uh, forward that we've got, who we hope turns into that level of forward, uh, uh, Eddie Nketiah, was uh, interviewed uh, by Alan Shearer. Amy, you listened in. To this, did you not? You were uh, you were listening you were listening into this um, uh, this chat between the two of them. Um, I mean, reading reading it, uh, Shearer's got a lot of time for Eddie and Ketia, but he needs to take his chance. That seems to be what came across here. Well, it was uh, it was really very sweet because they had this chat, and I got the feeling um, just watching that that Eddie Eddie was maybe a little bit nervous about talking to Alan in a way that he he perhaps wouldn't be quite the same if he was talking to a, you know, a bog standard journalist that hadn't been England's record goal scorer. Um, And what the best bit for me was was towards the end, obviously Alan led the conversation and was asking, you know, questions of Eddie mostly. But at the end he said, uh, uh, Eddie, have you got um, any questions for me? And in the sort of preamble before we'd even had the interview and it was all being set up, there was a kind of sense of like just making sure that there was a, uh, a, 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 a Arsenal had an idea of of what kind of questions would be coming and just to make sure there weren't any googlies. And it hadn't been mentioned in dispatches. So this came out of nowhere for him and in, in a live recording. And that was the bit that I loved most because Eddie sort of went, well, actually, I do have some questions for you. And promptly sat sat there and started to um to quiz Alan uh, and the question I found most interesting by Miles was he asked uh, Alan Shearer what he needed or what happened 
to get that next step once you'd actually already emerged. And, uh, um, oh, sorry, I've just got a visitor. My puppy has just appeared. Uh, he, he basically wanted to know, you know, once, for example, in Alan Shearer's case, he'd, he'd broken through as a young player in Southampton and he was already sort of, in, in, you know, in the top division scoring goals. How do you take that next step? How do you go from being someone who's a young player who's, who's broken through to being the real deal? And the fact that that was what was in Eddie's mind as where he wanted some advice yes. felt very pertinent because it feels like he's at that crux point where he has come through, he, he has experience in the team, he has scored goals. He's obviously um, been supremely successful at under-21 level for his country. But how does he take that into being establishment? And And... The other bit that was great was Alan was trying to get him to talk about how he felt alongside Bamiyang and Lacassette or more senior players. And, you know, would if he didn't get a pass, did he feel like he could challenge them on it? And Alan Shearer said, you know, I would, even as a young player, if someone didn't give me the ball, I would go in the dressing room and let them know in no uncertain terms. And Eddie was like, oh, I'll let him know. No, don't you worry. You know, if he doesn't get the, the, the ball that he thinks he should get. Uh, and I like that side of him but he's still a young a youngster but he you just get that feeling with Eddie he's desperate for it but he needs to maybe within for his own self-belief he needs to feel like he's the real deal rather than the guy who's coming on for bits and bobs and uh, still trying to convince some that he you know can lead the line for a club like Arsenal. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a big deal for a, for a young player to, as you say, lead the line for a club like Arsenal. Um, James, both both of us have performed on stage um, at various points, and there's a there's a certain sort of confidence trick, isn't there? Where you're, I mean, I call it passionate indifference, where you care deeply about what you do, but you don't care what the audience thinks. And I think in order to get to the next step. You sort of feel like uh, Eddie and perhaps Nicola Pepe as well, who we were talking about before, need to have that confidence in order to do that in front of big crowds. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But I mean, what's interesting is at the moment, they're not playing in front of those big crowds. And I think Eddie is actually someone, goal scorers, you know, I think Arsene Wenger said it, goal scorers are extroverts often. They're people who really enjoy that limelight. And I think... He, you know, scoring a goal, it's all about that moment of communion. It's all about the roar. And I bet he's desperate, you know, to be scoring these goals for Arsenal in front of a packed Emirates stadium. I think that's clearly something he'd love to be doing. I, I, I'm fascinated to see how Eddie gets on because it looks like Mikel Arteta is... Things are shifting anyway in his front line. You know, he played Aubameyang centrally uh, at Leeds. Ostensibly, that's kind of bad news for Eddie, right? It's more competition, senior competition for that spot. But... He'll get another chance, you would think, in the Europa League uh, in midweek, potentially. And I, yeah, I, I really hope he can remain involved. I really do think he is an outstanding finisher and his record at under-21 level shows that. What remains to be seen, really, is if that's enough. Seems strange to say, but is that enough to be you know, a top centre-forward at a, a big Premier League club? Yeah, especially a big Premier League club that creates as few chances as Arsenal seem to do uh, at the moment. Um, I mean, there was also a big article um, that you you were both involved in uh, with David Ornstein as well for the Athletic, um, talking about the uh, the Cronkies. Um, it was quite. Um, I read this and I, I I'm predisposed to 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 not be 
very trustworthy of what the Cronkies are up to. But I felt a little bit better towards them, having read this article, uh, Amy. Um, I mean, I'll ask you both this. Do you think they've got the best interests of Arsenal at heart? Yes, I do. I mean, it, you can argue about their interpretation of best interests, but um, I, I, <laughs> yeah, I definitely yeah. I can't envisage any sense at all that they don't want Arsenal to do well. That just doesn't make sense to me. James, I mean, uh, I, yeah. I'm putting the same question to you. I mean, you, you know what? We could talk about Mike Ashley at Newcastle. He's he, um, you know, his view of what Newcastle doing well uh, is is very different from what the fans' view is. I suppose mm. maybe the question to be more specific should be: Do you think their view of what Arsenal doing well could be accords with the Arsenal fan? Well, I mean, I'm sure it does, but whether or not. I suppose it's about how what you're prepared to do to get Arsenal to that level. You know, the Cronkies are pretty clear. They want Arsenal to be winning trophies. That's good for business. It's good for them. But they're not people who I think are prepared to win at any cost. And I mean cost in a very literal financial sense. They're not an Abramovich, you know. They're not uh, like Manchester City's owners who are prepared to put in so much money to help get Arsenal to that level. Their their business model is is a business model. It's that they want Arsenal to run sustainably. And I think what's really interesting is that for some Arsenal fans, that is a point of pride. You know, that is something that we kind of admire about the club and think, oh, well, that's quite an admirable aim and quite a, a good way to do things. For others, that's just evidence of an owner who isn't prepared to go the extra mile most of the time. I mean, where do you sit on that, Ian? You know what? I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, listen, all I do know is they spent £50 million on Thomas Partey uh, in the transfer yeah. window. And if they if they continue to spend at that level, you know, we, we, we have the resource available to get back to where we want to be. Um, I guess the proof is in the pudding and we'll find out in the next uh, the next couple of years. That, for me, is the most fascinating thing now is, is what, what next for the Cronkies, you know? It's, mm-hmm. it's a bit about the past is, you know, everybody's lived through that quite strange era for Arsenal that they've presided over uh, with a lot of turbulence, a lot of changes, um, with a general downturn, obviously, compared to how successful and competitive the club was when they became involved to start with. But the curiosity for me is is how much, how committed they are to there's still so much work that needs to be done and how committed are they to, to helping the club to, to get through that work? Um, it, it, I feel like an interesting point to judge will be in the next couple of seasons where you, where yes. you see whether the, the um, helping out to buy a Thomas party is an isolated-ish incident or becomes more of a, um, a thing that they feel able to do. It always felt for me with... The Cronkies, the, the 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 critical element was when they took sole control, which was obviously hugely controversial. But people who know much more than me about business always said that while they were not in full control, while there was still this sort of roughly seventy thirty ownership split between Usmanov and the Cronkies, they were never going to spend yeah. any money. They were never going to put too much into it because until it, you don't want to be sort of. At that high level of, of business of finance to be getting too involved with something that isn't entirely yours when you're a billionaire. So it was a, a kind of standoff, really, period that was so hard for Arsenal in the midst of it. They were powerless and this was just going on and, and kind of uh, hindering any progress, really. But now that they have 100% ownership, 
they've given the impression that this is the point at which they're more interested. This is the point where they they feel they want to to show more. But let's see. Hmm. Well, let's see. Let's let's see. You can hear a more in depth chat about that, by the way, James. Um, you you did a you recorded a little um, extra handbrake off podcast about mm-hmm. that very piece. Um, who were you talking to, by the way? I was talking to Seb Stafferbluff from uh, Tifo. And it was just a, a chat about what's in the piece. You can find that piece on The Athletic too. I, I agree with Amy. I think, you know, we can relitigate the past and everything that's gone on with the Cronkies as long as we like. I, I think the most interesting period is is the one since 2018, since they became 100% shareholders. That's been a really chaotic time for it's lots of reasons, not all of which have been in their hands. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, two or three years down the line, We'll be able to take a, a better view of their ownership and see kind of the direction of travel. Briefly, before we go, a couple of things. One, um, <laughs> James, you wrote this this crazy piece, I must say, about uh, Andre Shavin, uh, which was out last <laughs> week, but we haven't um, we haven't spoken since then. Um, yeah, I mean. I mean, what I would say to listeners is read the article, read the article, because it's it's basically nuts uh, what went on. Um, the guy, there, there was all sorts of things going on. This is about the transfer of Andre Arshavin from Zenit St. Petersburg mm. uh, to the Arsenal uh, and how it came about. Yes, absolutely. And it is the maddest story I've ever been involved with in football in terms of how it unfolded. And every single person I spoke to, the stakes seemed to raise higher and the story became more convoluted. There is everything in it, really, from kind of secret meetings with Arsene Wenger, a long lost family member. The FSB uh, are in it, the Russian Secret Service. Interrogate somebody. And (laughs) there's a weird kind of political uh, atmosphere. It's kind of got the atmosphere of sort of a spy thriller, really. It does. It would make for a a hell of a movie. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think every football transfer is quite like that. But this was a very particular deal because of. Andrei Alshavin's importance, not just to Zenit St. Petersburg, but to Russia generally. And, you know, Zenit's ties politically to the government, to, and, Gazprom, and to Putin yes. and Gazprom yeah. and all those things made this an incredibly difficult deal for Arsenal to do. It was done at a time when Arsene Wenger and Ken Fryer were doing the, the vast body of the, the work on the transfer. Ivan Gazidis had just turned up. And so, you know, it was mainly those guys running it. And it was just a bit of a, a crazy situation. It ended, of course, you'll remember on that snowy day. Um, he was in a hotel in Hertfordshire, in Borum, not far from Boreham Wood, where I'm from, uh, caught by the cameras. But yeah, uh, do check it out. I mean, it was a lot of work to get it over the line. And uh, if that's the version of the article that's out now, imagine the version before it went through the lawyers. <laughs> well, a couple of things. First of all, it was worth getting him just for the Barcelona goal, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. Others might feel differently, but uh, not many, I imagine. Um, Amy, you don't often see articles about transfers where the agent will say they knew where my mother lived. Yeah, I mean, I think my favourite bit was uh, was <laughs> the agent... Um, paraphrasing or, or, or recalling a conversation with Arsene Wenger where he seems to suggest that Arsene Wenger went Emirates Schmemirates. <laughs> and that really tickled me. Um, it doesn't work, does it? Emirates yeah. Schmemirates. It doesn't really yeah. work. I Especially in the voice much... of Arsene Wenger. No. Yes, I think that's much more Dennis's <laughs> vernacular coming through than Arsene's. But I'd love to hear Arsene say it. 
uh, I can only reiterate, it's definitely worth reading. It's it's funny and it's your eyes will be wide open uh, after reading this uh, piece. Uh, before we go, uh, let's have a song from each of you. Uh, Amy, we'll start with you. Under current circumstances, I'm going to go with something from Massive Attack, which is what I feel like Arsenal need at the moment and is uh, a band that uh, that I love. Uh, and I'd pretty much take anything from Blue Lines, but Unfinished Sympathy, as well as being a great track, this team feels like it's unfinished and everyone watching Arsenal needs a little sympathy. Speaking of which, James's tweet this week uh, definitely won Arsenal Twitter for me when he wrote during the game um, that he wanted to run outside and headbutt someone in the hope of missing the next three Arsenal matches. <laughs> quality tweet if ever I read one. It's very, very funny. Um, uh, James, what about... You know what, James, when, when uh, Amy said massive attack, I thought she, she was talking about the headbutt itself and I thought, really? <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> okay, what, what have you got, James? What it you works got on every level. It does. Uh, I, I actually had a suggestion that came in from one of our listeners this week, a guy called Matt Randolph on Twitter. Uh, he got in touch saying, having watched the Leeds game, he wanted to suggest the ruts in a rut, which uh, I yes. think sums up Arsenal perfectly. We do see him in, in a little bit of a rut right now. We do indeed. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna maintain my positivity. Uh, it's getting harder, but I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna have faith by George Michael because I think we have to at the moment. <laughs> Total silence greets that choice. <laughs> it's a great tune, though. Uh, I do like that song. It's, it's a lovely song. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, that's it for the uh, the handbrake off podcast. Uh, nice to speak to you, Amy, and to the puppy as well. What's the puppy's name? Rocky. Rock, of course. Do you know what? That just makes me feel good just hearing that. Uh, thank you to Amy and Rocky uh, for their <laughs> insights. Thank you to James. Thank you to Teo, our producer. Get well soon, Mr. Lee Dixon. And uh, I'm Ian Stone. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.